For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Nancy Easton, and I am so pleased to see so many of my dragon friends in person and online. Can everyone hear okay? Yeah, okay, and online, okay. Um, we are celebrating today, really, the auspicious occasion of being able to move to our new Zendo. Uh, and as part of that move, there was much discussion yesterday about forms. And so I wanted to talk today about the emptiness of forms, forms and emptiness, um, things along that line. Why, why, why are forms important and why would we take them on? Why would we practice them where we're... As in any new situation, we are struggling maybe a little bit to um, capture the forms and, and make them adapt to our current situation. And so we've encountered some forms already today, you know, with, with bowing and walking and sitting and chanting. And we will soon be encountering the forms for service and meal preparation. There are lots of different forms in Zen practice. Now, some people see forms as not very important, and that's okay. Um, others may adhere to forms very rigidly, and that's okay too. Um, I want to talk about the forms as really an opportunity to see and encounter ourselves and to try to work with ourselves skillfully and, and to let go. So I think that the forms have been around in some form or another um, as long as Buddhist practitioners have been practicing together. There's a verse from the Dhammapada that um, goes, refrain from all evil, practice all that is good, purify your mind. This is the teaching of all Buddhas. And, and um, in a wonderful book on the Zen precepts, uh, Rev. Anderson talks about how this verse was really the heart of Buddha's teaching and it, and it translated into um, forms and, or yeah, for the forms and the precepts actually. Um, so I want to, I want to start with the line refrain from all evil. Uh, I was raised in a Christian tradition and I remember growing up hearing my, you know, Sunday school friends talk about sin and, you know, various things were sins. And I, sort of said, you know, well, what makes it a sin? And the answer I was given was actually very helpful because the answer was that I was given was a sin is when we turn away from God. 
And I think that this is, this is similar within our Buddhist tradition. What is evil, really? Um, what, and what is truth? You know, and, and I think when we, within our tradition, we have the truth of interdependence, that, that everything is connected and interdependent. And when we turn away from that truth, we can think about that as being evil. So we have our 16 Bodhisattva precepts, including our 10 grave precepts, which are real, you know, injunctions for how we um, refrain from evil. We have, but, but all of the precepts involve refraining from evil. We have our, you know, the three refuges in Buddha Dharma Sangha, the three pure precepts, the 10 grave precepts. I think of the three pure precepts as being, um, aspirational and not so much prescriptive of particular behaviors. So our three precepts in our ancient dragon tradition are embracing and sustaining right conduct, um, embracing and sustaining all good and embracing and sustaining all beings. So I think that um, if you Take this, this Dhammapada verse, refrain from all evil, practice all that is good, purify your mind. This is the teaching of all beings. I think that, that uh, Reb translates these, these three precepts into the verse. So refraining from all evil for us would be practicing right conduct. Um, and, you know, practicing all that is good is embracing and sustaining all good and so on. So, so practicing right conduct is how we refrain from all evil. But how do we practice right conduct? What is that? That's still a little vague um, and maybe open to interpretation. So one interpretation I really like, which is we translate this line as embracing and sustaining right conduct. But if you practice within um, the practice spaces of San Francisco Zen Center, they say it differently. They say um, embracing and sustaining forms and ceremonies. Why? And, and so, you know, I started to wonder why would forms and ceremonies be so important? And I began to think about, um, you know, why, why do we have forms? Forms, as I meant, as I mentioned, touched on a moment ago, arose from monastic practice. They were a very, you know, it's a very, if you're going to have a group of people practicing together, you can already see that you need some regulations for how, how you're going to do that. Otherwise, it becomes complete chaos because we all have our own ideas about how things should go. Um, so forms, you know, I think maybe originated in the Vinaya, which was a, a code of conduct or rules and procedures to govern the early monastic community that uh, started at the first council following the Parinirvana of Buddha. And the Vinaya has a couple hundred different particular prohibitions for things that, that monks don't do. And over within our, within our Mahayana tradition, I think over time um, there has been less focus on the Vinaya and its specific, you know, injunctions or prohibitions and more of a focus on the precepts. And I think with that, within every Buddhist tradition, there are precepts. Some traditions have five, some have consider 10. You know, we have, we have our 16, which includes the 10. Um, and, and so, so we have the precepts, 
But the precepts don't don't tell us everything. They don't give us um, maybe some of this this specific um, you know nuts and bolts guidance about how we conduct ourselves. And and so when we practice together, we um, hopefully come to some general basic agreement on how we're going to do that. You know, when we bow, um, when we, how we stand, how we, how we walk, um, how we hold ourselves, how we treat each other. And to some extent, this is relative. It's, it's, it changes with the circumstances. There are maybe, we can look to our tradition and our history for how we, um, how we adapt the forms, but there's, I kind of want to say that I think there's some, there's some emptiness to that. There's, there's, it's not, not always so necessary. Um, Or I don't mean to say it that way. Any particular thing is not necessary in and of itself, you know, practicing bowing in a certain way doesn't make you a better Zen student or a better person. So, so, so why then, you know, do we need the forms? Particularly when we read and hear things like, um, you know, when we chant uh, the Juju Zamai, the the self-fulfillment Samadhi, um, Dogen says, from the time you begin practicing with a teacher, the practices of incense burning, bowing, nembutsu, repentance, and reading sutras are not at all essential. Just sit, dropping off body and mind. So, so why, you know, isn't just sitting enough? And I want, I, my opinion is, you know, yes and no. Just sitting is wonderful. And if, and, and I think that there is a lot to be gained from just sitting. And, and it's totally okay to, to just sit. Um, but I want to return to, you know, kind of thinking more about, um, you know, this whole refraining from all evil. When we're sitting, hopefully we're refraining from all evil. We, we may be entertaining some, some self-centered thoughts, but, but hopefully we're able to be aware of that while we're sitting, um, you know, so, so Zazen is an essential part of seeing ourselves and refraining from all evil, but there's a lot of our day when we're not on our cushions We're we're in the world and we're engaging with, with people, with beings, with things and having some, some forms in our mind and in our, in our training can, can really help with this, you know, and, and the reason, the reason why I think this is so is because I think it's just a very universal human tendency to get caught up in our limited perspective that we, we have a, this tendency to think that what we think is good is universally good. And what we think is the right way is universally the right way. And, and, you know, and our perspective on something is universally true. And it can be just so hard to see through that because we are, we are in our universal perspective. Um, and so having some forms 
having an idea that, you know, okay, I want to, I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, having something in the, the forms are something that can stand in the way between us and, you know, just kind of immediately acting on our thoughts or our inclinations. Um, forms can really help us to break our self-centered habits. Habits. Now, Dogen said, and I want to highlight from the time you begin practicing with a teacher, he doesn't say from the time you begin practicing, he says that from the time you begin practicing with a teacher. And I think that there's a reason for that. And, and the reason I think is that a teacher can help us see what we're doing, how it can help, help give some guidance around, you know, okay, did you see, did you, did you notice you did that? Or, you know, just, just having someone to be accountable to, uh, ourselves to, so that we can so, to hold up a little mirror to what we're doing and forms I think can really help to be that teacher you know we, we can't have nobody even in a even even in a monastic setting has their teacher with them all the time and so we have forms that help us to um, you know notice when we are maybe deciding that you know Hey, I don't really feel like sitting 35 minutes. I think I'll, you know, call it a day after 20. Um, so, but, but you know, for just as a, as a basic, basic one, but we can see, you know, Hey, no, that's, that's kind of not what we do. Why, what, what's going on here? And maybe we then get to kind of deal with some of the feelings that arise as a result of that. And it's not that it's not that there's anything wrong with our self-centered inclinations or our, our personal inclinations, but there, but there is benefit in observing them and working with them. You know, maybe maybe loosening them up a little bit, letting them go. So, you know, the forms I think can help us to look at our personal preferences and maybe move beyond our personal preferences. You know, it can help us, they can help us to maybe stop automatically putting ourselves first when we meet someone and we, you know, in a, in a, in a Zen context, then we maybe pause and bow to that person and show respect. We, we take a step backwards from, you know, just continuing to kind of barrel forwards. And so observing these forms and practicing with them, I think can help to open us to, you know, a greater awareness of context and greater awareness of relationships with others and with all beings and can help in some of our, some of the renunciation that, that is part of our practice. So I have spent very limited time in Zen monasteries, but long enough to observe that the, your entire day is actually governed by forms. You know, there's, there's of course, the practice of, of what we do in the Zendo, but there are, there's practice around meals, there's practice around, you know, bathing, sleeping, working, all the basic things that we do, which is really, you know, designed, I think, to help people practicing these set settings to let go of our personal preferences and to wake up to interdependence, being aware that of, of the ways in which we, I think you can, you can really become very intimately aware of the ways in which we depend on each other um, by, 
by slowing down and observing the forms around all of these activities. So my experience with this, which it's just my experience, but I think it might be universal, is that you can put yourself into this setting and for some period of time, it feels great. You know, it's like you're kind of learning the forms. You're like doing all the things. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it just right. And I'm going to be, you know, a great Zen student. And then at some point you wake up one morning and just go, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I want to get out of here. And that's, I think, really the point where, you know, if you listen very closely, you might hear the rubber hitting the road. And in some cases, that is literal because you might just say, okay, you know what, this is done. This is it. I'm out of here. I'm packing up my stuff. I'm, you know, throw it in the car and just drive off. But if you don't do that, you do get forced to confront aspects of yourself that we normally don't have to. Um, in, in our daily lives, our, our, we, you, you wind up confronting, you know, your personal preferences, your likes and dislikes, your um, feeling of, you know, this is, this is right and that's wrong. And, and I think, you know, you can even start to feel like, well, why am I doing these, you know, totally arbitrary things? Um, <laughs> why, why, why do I have to, why do we have to do it this way? Um, there's, there's all kinds of thoughts that can arise. And, 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 and so I think, you know, we, we confront, as I said, our, our general human tendency, which is to think that we have to like something or want to do something or agree with something or even know why we're doing it. Um, that we, you know, that, and when we, when we come up against the fact that we, we can't do any of these things, but, we're, but we still engage in the forms, um, we quickly start to see our, our resistance and, and start to feel maybe some of, the, some of the other forces that we're not normally aware of that are driving our behavior. Um, uh, whether, that's, whether that's resistance or whether that is you know, deep pain over, over something. Um, the, a setting like this hopefully provides a very safe container for, for that kind of work. And that kind of work is part of what helps us to let go of some of these preferences and to have, begin to develop compassion for ourselves and, and for those around us. Um, What do I want to say about that? So, so, so I think that um, there's a lot of benefit to this kind of monastic practice. But I also think that there's a lot of benefit to our non-monastic practice. And I, and I want to highlight that. We don't have to be in a monastery to do this work with ourselves together. We... We can do it by finding our own forms. It's, um, it's important to, I think, remember that adhering rigidly to the forms doesn't necessarily 
help either. We don't, we don't have to do that. We, what, we, what we actually have to maybe do is to just not take on too much all at once. Too much renunciation um, might just be too much. You know, one, one, of the, one of the things I remember the Eno saying when at, before, at the beginning of a, of a practice period that I was at was they encouraged us to harmonize with the forms, mm-hmm. um, which I, I really liked, you know, we, we were, when we're, when we're thinking about this, we're thinking about our own wishes and desires and needs and harmonizing with others. And, and it's important not to neglect yourself in the service or in the favor of others that, we we can each find our own way with how much renunciation is appropriate for each of us at any any given time, um, and that's hard. It's it's hard to do, you know. And sometimes we make mistakes. And um, I know that f- I know that for me, actually, when I first started to practice, I would jump in and be all in, and then after you know a couple months, I'd be like ew, I don't want to do this. This is horrible. And I would quit, you know, and, and, and I would come back and do it again. I think, okay, well, this time I'm really going to do it right. And then after a couple months, I'd be like, yuck. And I would quit again. And it took a lot of, a lot of quitting and, and coming back to settle down enough to be able to, um, you know, find my way and, and not, not continue to, you know, bring my own perfectionist agenda to the whole process, which, which was my particular problem. Other people have other, other things that you're, that you're grappling with, with the process. Um, so, so it's important to, to harmonize and to find balance. Um, but something that you can do with that is just, is play with the forms, you know, maybe decide that for a period of time, um, you're going to sit five days a week, you know, for a half hour, or maybe you're going to try to, um, you know, whatever it is, bow at a particular time, or, um, it could be something relating to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get up at a particular time or I'm something, some kind of, some kind of piece of discipline that you, that you bring to your life that isn't in and of itself the way to be, but it's, but it's something that you can work with and practice with. And after whatever time you decide you're going to stop doing it, say, okay, you know what? I got, I got what I got out of that. Um, and try to do it with, try to practice with yourself in such a way that you are encouraging yourself and not judging yourself, you know, being, Compassion begins at home, just like charity, you know, being compassionate with yourself and just looking and seeing what's there can, can help all of us to start to, um, you know, turn a little bit away from or loosen up our personal, personal preferences and inclinations, bring in some compassion and, um, and maybe just drop also drop off body and mind. So I think that's all. I think that's all I'm going to say for today. I'm not going to talk too much about any specific form. Um, I'll leave that for others. We, uh, 
I had originally come up with the idea for this talk when we were talking about starting a, we, before, before our opportunity to move arose, we had been talking about doing a small uh, practice commitment period. And um, if you are still interested in taking this month to do your own practice commitment period, I think that that's a great thing, but, uh, but I'm not going to tell you how to do it. <laughs> um, so I think that's all, all I have to say. I appreciate your attention. Um, I want to draw people's attention to the fact that there is also a wonderful article in this quarter's tricycle about a monk in a um, Vipassana monastery who works with, worked with these same issues around reading books. Um, that per particular person's injunction was against reading books and they kind of tried to find their own, their own way around that. But it, very interesting. If you're, if you have the art, have the, have the magazine or um, want to look it on online, it's tricycle. Oh, tricycle. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping also that we can maybe have a little discussion. Or if anybody has thoughts or questions, Hogatsu. Thank you very much, Aishan. Um, I was just noticing how the current circumstances inform us of the form. So with Kinhin, the walking meditation today, you know, all of a sudden we filled the other rooms, you know, this, this abode. So we found a way to create a space for walking meditation in a pretty small space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true with not just temples, but with everything in our life, there's a form. And so I was just kind of inspired by that today. So thank you. Thank you. There, there, are, there are forms for everything in our life and, and they, they do arise from some circumstance. And, uh, can pose, it can pose challenges, particularly if we decided, nope, we're going to, everybody has to be in this room, you know, and we're going to walk in such a way that we try to avoid the projector and, you know, <laughs> we're just, we're going to take, you know, steps this big so that we can just get around it. But, but as you're saying, we found a way to bring the form to the space that we have. So, which comes from, from knowing what the forms are. And then, you know, figuring out what is the most appropriate way to enact them. Yep. Just follow-up, that also has to do with how everyone here pretty much has been part of creating this particular space in the past month, really. In one month, we took a kind of devastated apartment and made it into a zendo. And the way in which the shoe racks were arranged... It was almost as if, like, Amber, who was helping with that, she knew exactly how Ascendo worked, and she's relatively new to, I think, our practice. So there's something about the energy that when we work together in this harmonious way, we intuitively know the form and then support each other in it. But it was interesting to see that happen. You know, Brian making signs, you know, everyone doing little things that all of a sudden are harmonizing us so it's a pretty mm -hmm. wonderful thing mm -hmm. so that's my follow-up sorry to say so much but it is wonderful and and thank you to all of the 
people and beings who came together to create this wonderful space. Kathy, I saw you. Asia, thank you for that talk. And I'm excited to be here. I'm so stunned to be with this many people. It's been three freaking years. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that is one thing that this morning, it just kind of like, wow. Uh, but it also reminded me, it goes with forms. It's like when you have a larger group of people, you have to have forms in order to bring some sense of order and ways to interact uh, into the process. You, you, it, you can't just, you know, when there are only four or five of us there, it's like you're all maybe doing multiple roles and just pinch hitting and that's okay in a very small group. But when you have a larger group, there is a need to have some, like what pulls us together sort of, so that we can pin or even sit and talk and agree that we'll all be quiet for a certain period of time, mm -hmm. that we don't meditate for a certain time. Anyway, it's nice to be with this larger space, which is I, I agree. When was the last time any of us were in a room with 20 people? <laughs> um, or, or definitely, when was the last time any of us practiced with 20 people? But, but yeah, I, I like what you're saying, that, that you know, forms are here to help us when, um, with, when, in a context when the leader's not around, we, we still know, you know, what we, how, how to do things. David? Yeah. Thank you, first, gratitude for, for your talk. Thank you very much. Um, I think of, uh, of uh, two things. Um, oh, one thing. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of the story of, and in, in, uh, I think it's in Rev's book, it might be in, in Suzuki Roshi's book. Uh, in a similar vein, it's also in Zen Flesh, Zen Bones about adhering so rigidly to forms that we lose sight of the forms. And I think Suzuki Roshi had a disciple who was just so rigidly observing him. He went out for a ride with him and he said, I feel like a hamburger. <laughs> yeah. And then I stopped for him. Of course, the guy was not plus, you know, and then uh, Suzuki took one bite of his hamburger and says, I'm full, you finish it. <laughs> kind of like to, sometimes we have to be understanding and not mm -hmm. just following mm -hmm. and and how can we bring those forms in our everyday life sometimes even means although people might not get bowing to somebody you know to say thank you or mm -hmm. um just a little habit of the way you say thank you and the way you express your appreciation yeah. this has nothing to do with practice in the zendo but has everything to do with our practice and that's one and um and that's the, that was the other thing. What is not just what we do in the Zendo, but also what we do outside of the Zendo, which is important, and how sure. we could bring that sure. into our lives. Sure. And um, hopefully, by training with those forms, we break them with full awareness. Yeah. So, you know, it's not just that we didn't, didn't pay attention to what we were doing, but but we can we can attentively decide to do something else, like have a hamburger, yeah. because we have the training of 
you know, not having a hamburger. And it's, and it's mindfulness. It's the whole thing of being mindful, of being, yeah. being yeah. what am I doing? And making it, us. I had to read an article for school and talked about mindfulness and said, mindfulness is done on purpose. You know, that was yeah. the first thing he said, you know, uh, and then he said it was, you know, being present and then being not judgmental. Yeah. Uh, is the way he looked at mindfulness. Nice. But, but on purpose, what we're doing has purpose. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying in your talk, and which I'm so appreciative of. You have intention. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for reminding me of Suzuki Roshi, because I, I searched fruitlessly for a quote that I remembered um, that I'm probably going to remember incorrectly. But I think he said um, something about how our life itself is... Um, our life is, is, is our life, but, but, but we need a frame to see it clearly. And I think he was, he was, I think he said that Zazen can be that frame, but I think forms can be that frame too. Anything that draws a little boundary around, you know, the, what's called the full catastrophe, (laughs) um, gives us a way to, to view it like a picture. You know, we don't always notice the picture without the frame. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if there's anyone online who has anything that you would like to offer. Ed, this is Ed. Yes. Is are we audible online? Yeah. All right. I'm jealous almost looking at that Zendo and thinking I'm not there. So congratulations to everybody who assembled that, put that together. It, what it, what it, it is by no means looking like a desperate apartment, which I think is the phrase we'll get to use. <laughs> no, destitute apartment um, or devastated apartment. I guess you make your choice. But thanks, Asian. You know, I just wanted to and thank you for your talk. It occurs to me, and it might be fair to say that there is there's no such thing as an absence of forms in any aspect of our lives. And maybe there is an absence occasionally of an intimacy with them and the practice of unusual form making, which certainly does occur in, in this tradition brings me closer, more intimate with all the forms that I exercise uh, throughout my life and day and month and week and year. And that's a, that's a, that's quite an undertaking, quite an investigation, uh, quite a uh, opportunity of, to learn. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, mindfulness versus mindlessness. You know, we that we are the forms help us avoid mindlessness, and and forms though can be anything. Like like you're saying, forms for Zen practice and forms for other things. I think when I when I first started practicing. I decided I was going to start making my bed every day. And, and you know, it just seems like a small thing, but it, it, it had a big impact, you know? And um, so, so we can, we can, we can have those kinds of forms. I think our, our late friend and Sangha member, Paul Rizzuto um, created a little book of gatas, which are verses that you, that, that you can practice with to apply to, um, particular daily events. There are some some traditional gatas that are used for things like bathing or um, I, 
that's that's the one that, that comes to mind, using the washroom. But I think Paul created some that apply to things like, you know, washing your dishes. Um, and it's and it's always mm-hmm. sort of a, a phrase of like may. I don't know. Do, do, you, know, do you know any? One, yeah. Together with all beings, and then Rev goes on to talk about brushing your teeth. Yeah, to, may, may all beings be benefit from you know the the fresh breath that I bring to the world, or things like that. I don't know if anybody knows a specific. Well, uh, that that tradition is also expressed in the Flower Ornament Sutra that we uh, recite once a month together, um, and that has a whole chapter of verses that. Uh, very specific situations. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, re- uh, to just add to what's been said uh, just now by Ed and, and Asia that another way to frame this is in terms of ritual. Yeah. So yeah. that all the things we do, how we approach the altar, how the doshi approaches the altar, how we all participate in service, how we bow and walk around the space of Zendo. We could say these are rituals. Zazen is a ritual, but also not just in the monastery, but everything in our daily life, brushing our teeth, washing the dishes, we could see as rituals, not in a way that you have to, you know, that needs to be perfect and formal exactly, but to see our whole life as ritual expression of awakeness and kindness. And, and, Partly what that helps with, and this has already been sort of mentioned, is that we, we, when we do that, when we see our whole life as ritual, we also see the rituals that we, that are unconscious. So when we're consciously washing the dishes and appreciating it as a ritual, for example, we can see uh, maybe how we might wash the dishes and really not like it or something. Uh, but to really take on each thing in our whole life every day as a way of expressing uh, Thank you, Tegan. Or we may, we may see that we are um, washing our dishes in some way because of some way that we were taught, you know, years ago about how you should wash the dishes or, <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe that no longer applies as in the same way, but it's, but it is, it's, it's about, um, Finding ways to be present. It, it, the ultimately, any kind of ritual or form helps us to just be present with what we're doing, to, to wake up to our, our own activity. Oh, you start a corner of my eye. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Tigan said ritual, I, yeah, I mean, as an anthropologist, that's what I was trained to call it. And I mean, for me, you know, I've had like multiple ways of engaging with it. Like, I mean, I have a friend who's also an anthropologist and he studied ritual, but like he doesn't, he doesn't really participate in any congregations. Mm-hmm. I've participated in multiple congregations. Um, and at this point, you know, I would consider myself a Jew who I do practice Jewish rituals as well as the Zen ones. Um, and I think for all of us, you know, we come to this differently because we are part of a multicultural society. You mentioned growing up Christian. I'm sure you had your own experiences with Christian rituals. For me as an anthropologist, I, I lived in Micronesia for three years. I, you know, participated in, I drank kava. I participated in rituals there. 
Um, and, and I've studied different sacred dance traditions. And one of the things that drew me to them was the forms, was the ritual. And I guess, I mean, out of all that, um, I mean, one of the things I, you know, learned as an anthropologist was that, that rituals are about distinction between um, the sacred and profane, mm-hmm. between what the Polynesians call kapu or tabu and noah, um, restriction and, and, and freedom. I think one of the things I've learned from the Zen tradition is is that they're both part of a larger whole, and and that is I think you know the deeper meaning of that that practice is that that when you engage in in sacred space, I mean so like I went to Jewish funeral um, a week ago Monday and and they gave us um, small containers of water at the end. And I think some people were drinking them. And I realized, no, the reason they were giving us the water is because it's a Jewish practice that after you come from the cemetery, you wash your hands to signify that distinction between life and death and that you're part of life. Um, even if, you know, your loved one is, 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 is no longer. But, um, but then I think, you know, in the Zen teachings about emptiness and, 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 and form, you see that as the, the distinction is there, and so is the not distinction, you know, that they're both there, and, 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 and that's, that's been... Helpful. I think I mis- I don't think I understood what you meant by distinction. Distinction between what? Between the sacred and oh, profane. Okay. When rituals okay. create a sacred space, Got it. you know, Got like it. there's all this stuff about liminality and yeah. stepping into a liminal space and the ways that forms help you do that, like, you know, ringing the gong, um, the, you know, bowing the right we, when we bow, we define a threshold, and so there's a difference between what we're stepping into and what we came out of. Just like you know, the water when you wash your hands, you leave the cemetery that's that boundary, that mm-hmm. distinction. And um, I just remember when I was in Micronesia, um, they they usually have like in the every more everyday ritual about feasts, it's like there's Oh, ways you go in and ways you're not allowed. You have to be a higher ranking person to come in from the back. And then, uh, but uh, during a funeral, I, at one point, the chief told me to come in from the back. And I'm like, what? I'm not supposed to go in that way. And then I realized, no, it's because, you know, it is this liminal space because it's a funeral and then things get topsy-turvy. So there's a lot of examples of that cross-culturally that sometimes, um, you know, for particular occasions that, that the, ordinary like everyday daily life rules we were talking about get broken um and so there's those those kinds of you know boundaries but um and and that all has to do you know historically right with the way people have built community and the way humans you know interact with each other and and create the um ways you know created the possibility for for living in 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 community mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, also for me, um, that one of the things that was meaningful, I mean, one of the things that I think what introduced me both to Jewish renewal and to, um, Buddhist practice was the book, um, The Jew and the Lotus, which is the story of the delegation of Jews that went to visit the Dalai Lama. And part of what he was asking them was like, how do you survive as a community in exile? And they said, Householder rituals, um, you know, that that aside from outside of monastic practice, 
that just like you were saying things about, you know, making your bed, et cetera, that you develop rituals that you do as part of your daily life, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a household. But, but I, I also like what people were saying about, you know, about playing with forms and, and, and adapting them. And I think that's been, that's really important for us right now as we try to figure out what kinds of forms are going to sustain us ecologically and in community with other beings. Um, and, you know, how do we, we do that? And, um, and I was also thinking about like, why, why I don't, you know, adapt the Jewish, you know, traditional practice of like putting on phylacteries and praying. And part of it is because it was associated with, uh, you know, men and it was only men that did that. And so I think, you know, for American Buddhism, which we've sometimes talked about, some of that's been about, you know, the forums have been about like, so what do we do about different kinds of hierarchy and and how do we want to adapt that? You're you're giving us a lot to chew on. (laughs) And and I think there's 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 a lot there. Um, I I know what you mean about rituals being a way that we demarcate the sacred and and the profane. And yet. I I guess I've always thought that in Buddhist practice, we are working to, um, you know, see the sacred in everything. Yeah. And to, so, so it's about, so the forms help us to, to do that, that there's no, there's no place of ground on the, you know, that isn't a sanctuary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also that supported by the, like theory, you know, that the, the texts that, that tell us that form is emptiness and emptiness yeah, is yeah. form. Yep. Uh, I have one thought just occurred to me, and it's actually directed to Tygen, if I may, because uh, about two weeks ago, you gave a, uh, a Dharma talk on Hunan, uh, I'm, I'm maybe pronouncing it wrong, concept of, of Buddhism. And, and you said that the phenomenal world does not restrict the ultimate reality, and the ultimate reality does not restrict the uh, phenomenal world. And I think that that might tie into what we're talking about in forms, and that our forms do not, and, I'm, and, and if I may ask it to type in, does, does that make you see, are you seeing the same corollary that I'm trying to, it's coming up in my mind with, about forms and and the two supporting each other? Sure. Or so, not restricting each other? Yeah, so I was talking about Huayan Buddhism, which comes from the Avatamsaka Flower Ornament Sutra, and that has a, a very um, full philosophy of how this works, dialectical philosophy, but it's very much relevant to what Asian's talking about, and about how forms and ritual are part of our everyday activity. Uh, so to to uh, respond directly to what David said, that uh, the everyday act, the everyday world, the world of phenomena in particulars, does not obstruct the ultimate reality that we get some taste or glimpse of in our sitting eventually. Uh, and yet the ultimate or universal does not restrict uh, or impede or obstruct a particular reality. So ritual is a way of expressing that and realizing that. That, that, that to put it as, as has been said, that the, the mundane and the sacred are not separate at all. 
at all, at all. Delusion is not something we get rid of. Delusion and, and awakening or enlightenment are totally work together. So to try and uh, get rid of the mundane so that we live in some you know, super sacred world is, is big delusion. <laughs> and we can recognize it as that. But the expression, the physical, actual, lived expression of all that is to enjoy the ritual of our everyday stuff. So that's you know, what Ishan was talking about. And uh, that's wonderful. And, and, it, and it helps us to see the interconnectedness of, of uh, the ultimate and so, yes. I, I, I agree. I think I, what I mostly wanted to say but didn't actually say in words is that I see the forms as a tool. Mm-hmm. Just, just, a, just a tool and not as a, not as a magical thing, but it, it, except to the extent that it is kind of magical. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is kind of magical that we that we, you know, can can what we can see as as a result of using that tool, and what we can do, and what we can be as a result of using that tool. Yeah, because it's embodied. Mm-hmm. Are there other people who have comments or uh, responses or questions for Asian? Um, I have been thinking a lot in this conversation about the the tension between freedom and restriction that we're talking about. And um, I, in addition to practicing uh, Buddhist practice, I also practice uh, Catholic rituals. And it's something I've thought about my whole life, this kind of tension. Growing up, I think especially growing up and being born into it, not having the any thought or around it as you're learning them. I think I, in the earlier, like as I was younger, I processed it as this is only restriction. This is, there's only restriction here. Um, but as I'm growing and, and through inter ritual, through doing multiple types, able to kind of return to a lot of the rituals that I um, grew up with, with this tension being present that, that it is restriction and also in restriction, we're allowed a certain type of freedom that we don't experience in other parts of life. So I'm just, yeah, we think that freedom is like that. That having the ability to do anything we want is freedom, and it's it can be incredibly restricting, um, it, it like paralyzing in in a way. So so yeah, we do we do find freedom within restriction. I um, when I was in art school a billion years ago. Um, my <laughs> my the the teacher said you know the one of the hardest things for an artist is if somebody just gives you carte blanche just you know do do whatever you want to do and you're suddenly like no you know how do how, so how do we create an appropriate response out of just you know carrying ourselves forward we we do have to take that step back and and restriction as is i think taking that just taking the step taking the backward step as 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 we say mm-hmm. and um allowing uh, our ourselves to recognize that myriad things are coming forth at, and we're part of that but 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 we're only a part of it well, thank you is it Amber? I can't, yes. I can't, I don't know. I haven't seen you with the mask. Yeah. <laughs> Amber, um, yeah, I really, uh, thank you for talking about this today. Cause it was just last night that I was talking to Ian, who painted these walls, um, 
and did all the patches and things. Oh, cool. And um, we were talking about Zen and, uh, you know, telling him about my experience coming here. I am pretty new. This is like my fifth time here. So, like, very new. And um, I was telling him about, you know, what happens when you enter and, like, the valley the, the meditation, the walking, and all of these things are very new to me and still really awkward, and I forget all the little things sometimes. And um, and he was asking me about why, why, you know, and, and then you came here with this talk that was about forms, and, and I wanted to thank you for talking about it, but I found it really interesting talking about renunciation, because um, I, I I have another practice as well where I'm a Latter-day Saint and, and I grew up in that tradition and there was a lot of, uh, I feel like a lot of renunciating, renunciating that I did throughout my life that made me feel very disconnected. So I really liked that you talked about renunciation and its relationship with interdependence or what, what I feel like what you're saying is connection mm-hmm. to mm-hmm to everything around us and um, I liked that you used the word harmony when you talked about that and it made me think of how when we are harmonizing voices that we we all have this different pitch we're, we're pitching in our our unique voices to harmonize so we're still bringing something unique to the table something that's unique about what we are who we are what we're doing and and having it blend and be connected to what's around us and made me think of the chanting that we do as a group here and how the form is these words that we're speaking and this rhythm that we have but we're we're we sound so full with our unique voices that we're each you know chanting with um and that these words can change, you know, we change the chants and we can change the words and it's fine, you know, it's something that we can all like agree that we're gonna do, but I really liked this discussion, so thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for um reminding me of of something, which is that we we really can't do this practice perfectly. There's no way, there's no way to practice the precepts or the forms or or anything perfectly. And one of the very most you're you're giving me the opportunity to share one of the very most favorite things that Tigan ever told me was, which is that this practice is supposed to be done by human beings. You know, we bring our humanity to it. And that means that we, there's no, there's no perfection outside of just doing our best, bringing, bringing our, our whole being to it. So thank you. And, and it's been good to meet you. I, I, yeah. Look forward to seeing you in, in our in our Zendo. Anybody else have anything to share or comment on or share with anybody who's spoken? Thanks, Brian. Yeah, just thank you, Amber, for your thoughts on that. One, one of the things that it made me think of is, is we've been talking a lot about the individual experience of form, but there's this corporate experience mm-hmm. in the Zendo, especially of form that is like the this, this submission of personal preferences or even timing or how far you bow down or things like that. The submission of that to the, to the form we are doing together is a way of creating, for me, a sense of unity, that we are one body and, and we have different elements that we bring to it. But it's like having peripheral vision as we're doing things enables us to all bow, you know, with some... Mm-hmm 
some precision at the same time, which creates this dance, you know, of one one body dancing. So thank you, Amber, for bringing that up about Henry. Okay. For May, uh, one example of that. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, I want to give a little instruction about a form, which is chanting. So we will be chanting the Heart Sutra later this morning. But please, the, the instruction for chanting is to please, to, for that ritual, is to please chant with your ears. <laughs> Listen to everybody else, harmonize with everybody else. So uh, it's not about being perfect, as has been said, but just uh, it's not you chanting, it's chanting with everyone, with your ears. Thank you. Chanting is happening, and we are part of it. <laughs> yeah.